Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, uh, good morning to you on this uh, Tuesday morning and uh, a busy morning we've got for you as well. Uh, Eden Park is uh, the centre of attention this weekend, so we shall be talking to its CEO, in Nick Sortner, uh, about arrangements and just how you go about planning for such a, a big weekend when, of course, you've got two entirely different codes involved as well. So there's a lot of, uh, I mean, operational stuff to talk through as well. So we'll look forward to that. Just after 9.30, talk back time with you. Uh, there's plenty of things to talk about. Wellingtonians, will you go to a Shield game? Will you be fronting up to uh, Wellington versus Waikato this weekend? Uh, would be interested to know if you're going to do that. Um, what gets you to go to the stadium uh, if a Shield game doesn't? Um, what does that mean? Uh, also, of course, uh, there's a T20 World Cup squad coming out uh, from New Zealand's point of view today at 10.30. So uh, we could uh, talk about that if you want to, uh, who you'd have in and who you'd have out. Uh, I can tell you right here and now at uh, Vivian Richards Stadium in Antigua, New Zealand have just lost their second wicket. So Susie Bates is out for 51. And we are 101 for two, uh, New Zealand, chasing another 68 runs and 87 deliveries. So it's been the Bates Divine Kerr show so far, as it so often is. So uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit about that as well. Uh, what do we do after 10 o'clock? Uh, let's have a panel, shall we? We'll have Hamish Bidwell and uh, Mark Watson on this morning. Uh, we will talk about that uh, T20 squad because it comes out at about uh, 10.45 and then we'll hopefully talk to uh, Gary Stead just after 11 o'clock. And, and as I said, our uh, um, Mount Rushmore Sporting Arenas today, your four choices, and uh, you can include that too on your phone call, 0800 Favourite stadiums to go to if you've uh, been uh, travelling around the world or even around New Zealand. What are your favourite stadiums and uh, and why? I'd love to hear that uh, also on our uh, temper bedpost text line, which is double eight double three. So uh, we've got plenty to talk about this morning as we head through towards Staffy at uh, midday. We've uh, also got, of course, a stump smithy around about 11.30 this morning. <laughs> Well, this weekend promises to be one to remember for Kiwi sports fans, especially, really, especially if you have uh, tickets to Eden Park. The Auckland Stadium is set to host an epic doubleheader of international rugby on Saturday with the Black Ferns playing Japan in preparation for the Rugby World Cup. It's their last hit out. And then the All Blacks and the Wallabies meet again in a crucial rugby championship battle. Then on Sunday, the rugby field makes way for the football pitch as Eden Park hosts the All-Whites in their first match on home turf since 2017 when they faced the Socceroos. And on the line now we have the CEO of Eden Park, Nick Sortner. Nick, good morning to you. Morning, Smitty. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for you. Uh, you've 
uh, busy man, so we're glad to find a window for you. Um, uh, apparently, the, it's sold out for the rugby side of things. Uh, what about the football side of things on the Sunday? How are ticket sales looking for both? Yeah, so Saturday is officially a sellout with gates opening at 3.30 and the Blackferns kicking off at 4.30. We're encouraging all fans to arrive early. Uh, I heard uh, earlier you mentioned that uh, the AFL's on across in Australia as well, so fans will be able to watch on uh, our CCTV internally. Uh, also, the AFL will be on a few channels, so from 4.30. So it is a, a blockbuster weekend. And then on Sunday, we've got this historic fixture with the, with the All-Whites playing. There's about 25,000 tickets in market currently, and obviously with Winston's announcement yesterday, we hope that'll spur on people to see this um, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see three games of, of sport being played at Eden Park over a weekend. Well, of course, uh, we don't have to promote the rugby as such because, as you say, it's sold out, but that um, Nick is going to have quite a lot of feeling, I would imagine, the Bledisloe Cup game, and uh, so too, uh, I'd encourage fans to get there nice and early for the Black Ferns as their last hit out, of course, uh, before the the Women's Rugby World Cup. Such an important outing for them as well. Yeah, it's it's critical. Um, obviously, we're we're pretty much three weeks away from that um, eight October historic weekend um, for the Black Ferns to be playing Australia in the triple header. And, um, yeah, we just want people to see them, experience them, get behind them. This is a, a once-in-a-generation opportunity for quality in sport. We've had the Cricket World Cup being played here. Uh, we've got, obviously, the Rugby World Cup. And then next year with the FIFA Women's World Cup, um, it's, a, it's a real opportunity to see that paradigm shift in women's sport and, and getting fans behind the three teams. Nick, can we talk logistics just for a moment or two here about Eden Park itself? It, uh, back in the heyday when uh, I was uh, around, it was uh, administered or well run really by an Eden Park Trust Board as such who employs the likes of, of yourself. Is that still the case? It is the case. We're an independent trust. Um, we receive um, limited funding from council and government um, and, uh, and we're, I suppose, here to serve the people of Auckland but um, I see ourselves as a strategic asset for New Zealand and a community asset for Auckland. And uh, this weekend... We'll have up to 100 fans across the two days. About 10% of those will travel across the ditch. And um, you can imagine the, the local economy, what it does for the businesses in mm. the hospitality sector. We'd envisage in excess of a $10 million economic benefit for the city. So how, do, how does it work financially from your point of view? Do, do New Zealand rugby and New Zealand football rent the ground? Is that, is that basically how it works? Yeah, so we structure deals um, in a variety of fashions. Uh, we were approached, obviously, we, with uh, New Zealand Rugby and, um, and the Black Ferns. That was an additional fixture added prior to the Rugby World Cup. We made the venue available. There's around 3,000 staff that work on event days. When you consider the street-to-the-seat experience, whether it be train drivers, bus drivers, um, from cleaning, catering, security. So it is uh, running a small city. And Eden Park Trust has approximately 40 staff, um, full-time staff. When you take out turf facilities and security, it's only around 10 staff that actually deliver such a, a wonderful calendar of content for the city. So um, I'm very proud to lead the team and, and excited to buy this weekend to showcase uh, our venue, um, the National Stadium on the global calendar. Right, uh, the other side of it, of course, you've got to, or your ground staff have to turn a rugby ground into a football, an international football ground. 
in a pretty short space of time. So I imagine as as people are leaving the ground, the posts will be coming down. Is that pretty much it? That's right. So um, I don't know if you remember back in March 2020, uh, we were due to have the codes of Auckland. So we were going to have back-to-back a Super Rugby fixture and an NRL fixture. And unfortunately, then COVID hit and we weren't able to uh, deliver that. But we put in place a transition between the field. That was only going to see 45 minutes between those two codes. And um, the turf team have worked through from a sustainability perspective. We've gone to digital logos versus the old painted logos on the field. There's a whole number of processes that they need to work through. But also um, the Hello Turf, the Garden of Eden, will be um, cut overnight uh, to ensure then it presents uh, the football on Sunday. Right. It's uh, wind the clock forward. As you said, it's uh, it's actually less than three weeks now um, to the Women's Rugby World Cup, which is a massive Massive global event. Uh, you get uh, the privilege of um, pulling up the curtain on the event with a triple header on uh, Saturday, October 8th, involving uh, really the three favourites for the competition. You've got uh, South Africa against France, Fiji against England, and then, of course, Australia against New Zealand. So uh, how are ticket sales going for that? Well, the, the, from a World Rugby perspective and the local organ, organising committee, they're, they're comfortable where it's at, but they'd love to see more sales. We're, we're targeting a world record. We've also got Rita Ora performing, and tickets are very reasonable, sort of 5 to $20. So I think all rugby fans, when you see 50,000 fans here this weekend on, on Saturday, every one of those rugby fans should be buying a ticket um, to that historic fixture. Um, this is, as I say, uh, a once-in-a-generation opportunity for gender equality in sport. The Black Ferns is arguably one of our most successful teams in history uh, in terms of their World Cup performances. Um, the players uh, are so excited to be playing at Eden Park, and um, we just want people to, A, know that the event is on, and B, be part of uh, the experience. Right. Uh, the other um, aspect of the Women's Rugby World Cup, which I think people are just coming to to terms with, uh, Nick, is the fact that it's uh, not going any further south in Auckland as such. Uh, so you've got a pretty concentrated effort now. How do you work in conjunction with uh, the stadium at Waitakere? Uh, do you have uh, any administration duties as far as that venue is concerned? And how how is, how, how is the dual venue going to come into play? From an Eden Park perspective, we're always comfortable in offering our skills and expertise to other facilities. And um, Blair Christensen, our turf manager, I think he's one of the best in the world in terms of um, his skill set and his experience. So we often make our staff, whether it be from a turf perspective or operational perspective, available to other facilities. Uh, we also have the semi-finals on the 5th of November and then obviously the, the final on the 12th of November with the bronze metal fixture and then obviously uh, the final. So um, the team are just so excited. Uh, we're a lean team, um, but this is um, a really an opportunity to showcase uh, Aotearoa New Zealand on the global scale for, for women's rugby. And as I say, that opening fixture, we're targeting a world record um, with the attendance. I would imagine there'll be quite some feeling at uh, Eden Park on the basis of what happened in Melbourne uh, on Saturday night. Uh, those travelling fans from Australia will have a bit about them. Uh, and, of course, there's differing views on what happened. So uh, I would imagine it's far from uh, dead rubber with the rugby championship uh, still up for grabs as well. Without a doubt. I think um, when teams come and play at Eden Park, there's no question they're playing the All Blacks, but they're also playing 
the 120 year history of this venue. Uh, but I'm sure after the controversial decision in Melbourne, um, the Wallabies will be keen, irrespective of the Bledisloe Cup being won. Um, they, like any player, you'd know from your own playing days, um, that ability to actually make history by influencing change in a result, uh, I'm sure they're going to be motivated. And so let's hope the All Blacks can respond and, and keep that 90% um, winning record at the Garden of Eden. You'll be happy, uh, of course, that uh, as you talked about uh, Blair Christensen being such a, a wonderful uh, custodian of the turf, uh, that the turf is uh, of very good nature there because when you start putting triple headers together, double headers, triple headers together, then you, you want to play football the next day, etc. Uh, you, you, you really don't want wet weather, but um, at least it'll stand up pretty well, wouldn't it? Yeah, we were fortunate enough about 12 months ago to replace the field with a HG Hero Eden Park edition. Um, the, in terms of the irrigation here, um, it's second to none. But um, as you mentioned, the last three months we've had a um, huge amount of rainfall and um, the work the team do in terms of coring the surface to get it ready um, in preparation for whether it be those downpours or indeed um, this weekend um, is, uh, is often 18 months in the planning. So um, Blair's also had to contend with our concert calendar that we've added in. This summer we've got 660, Billy Joel, Guns and Roses and Ed Sheeran and then throw in Tomatatini ahead of um, the FIFA Women's World Cup. It will be the most um, diverse but also busiest calendar of content um, over the next 12 months. And then we've also got um, the two touring teams with uh, India in November and then um, Sri Lanka next year. Nick, how do you run these days? Uh, because it's always been pretty well publicised, the consent side of things with uh, the neighbours, etc. How's the relationship there these days? We were fortunate enough around three years ago to start a program called The Hood, the Neighbourhood Supporters Club. And uh, we have over 1,400 members of The Hood. Uh, we've got 250 businesses and 12 schools. Um, our relationship with the community has been fostered. Uh, we have 97% support from the community. And um, we, we're available. We're, we're strategic, but we're authentic. Uh, we want to ensure that we are a good neighbour. And uh, I mentioned earlier about economic benefits. Dominion Road and, and Kingsland, we encourage everyone to come early on whether it be Saturday or Sunday, experience the, the content and then post-event go and invest in the local community, whether it be those bars and restaurants. Right, let's uh, put your other hat on if we can, sir, uh, because of course uh, you were uh, an amazing uh, VFL player, your record is uh, quite incredible, you won the Jim Miller medal nine times, which is uh, a record premiership player. Uh, five times, uh, you know, uh, Sandringham captain 2010, a hell of a history um, in uh, the, a the AFL, the VFL as such, Nick. Uh, do you miss it uh, at this time of the year? I know you're a busy man, but uh, you've got the Geelong Cats and the Sydney Swans this weekend, which would bring back memories of your time in the game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last year, there was uh, a Melbourne player who I played with extensively who missed out on the grand final and uh, I sent him a message because we'd had such a, an era of excellence on field and uh, I was disappointed he missed out. This year, Reece Stanley, uh, someone I played with, will, um, he transferred from St Kilda across to uh, Geelong and he'll be playing in the grand final. So um, as much as um, yeah, I've been out of the game now for sort of 10 years, um, there's still players running around and um, yeah, it is exciting to see 
100,000 at the MCG, whether it be Friday, Saturday or this week, there'll be another 100,000 along. And um, hopefully it's dry weather. I always like dry weather because it's good to see the forwards kick goals um, and uh, and see that uh, that one day in September that we all played for. On the back of uh, that remarkable uh, semi-final or playoff match uh, between uh, Sydney and Collingwood last weekend, do you think they might have played their final, uh, Sydney? Uh, would the Geelong Cats be your favourites? Yeah, definitely. I think um, Geelong had uh, the week's break. Uh, they've had also an easier run into the grand final, whereas um, and home ground advantage too, being a Melbourne side versus uh, Sydney travelling. Um, but you never know on the grand final. You get normally... 12 or 14 opportunities, the team that kicks their goals um, generally wins the match. So um, it was a very tight contest. Sydney should have won by more on the weekend, but they were inaccurate and um, they were very fortunate in the end to get over the line. So, yeah, I'd be tipping Geelong, um, but uh, as with any uh, grand final, it comes down to some of those uh, players being able to stand up under pressure and, and then also the 22 players playing their part and making a contribution to team success. Where does the MCG rate for you, Nick, as a sporting venue? I mean, you've travelled around the world. You've, uh, you've uh, been in control of our mecca at Eden Park. Where does the MCG sit for you? Smitty, it's one of those things that um, I'm in New Zealand because it's Eden Park. I had a mentor in Perth and I had an opportunity um, to, to work at the new Perth Stadium or Eden Park and he said, I don't know why we're having this conversation. Uh, I know from some of our musical content coming through that the artists, they actually want to play the likes of Wembley, the MCG and Eden Park. So for me, um, the MCG is uh, when when we think of the times, whether it be me going along with my mum to AFL games, cricket fixtures, etc., special moments. And um, when you consider um, the 40-odd thousand um, members they've got, the MCG wait list to 30 years to become a member, it is uh, such a special ground. But... Um, there are a number of uh, special grounds around the world that you just want to either administer or actually if you're fortunate enough to play at. And um, I remember going with my wife to somewhere like Newlands Cricket Ground because it was just such a unique mm. ground. Um, so, yeah, the, the venues that are 100-plus year, they've, they've evolved. It's no different to Eden Park. The Eden Park that I administer today is very different to even what it was pre-redevelopment in 2011. Um, and the MCG is looking at a billion-dollar renovation of uh, the Warren Stand or the Great Southern Stand. So um, venues have got to continue to upgrade and, and understand that the fan experience has to be central. We've got such competition now with television and radio um, and also competing other esports, etc. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a marvellous venue. And to think that 100,000 fans or some weekends, 400,000 fans go to live sport across a weekend in Melbourne, it's pretty special. Do you forecast, Nick, that Eden Park has a long life in front of it for all sport? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, we're, our population of Auckland, 1.8 million people, um, you need a hybrid venue. We don't have the funds and we don't have the infrastructure to build uh, purpose-built facilities. Um, for all codes. I do think that there needs to be a boutique um, oval available in Auckland for cricket, um, test match cricket, short form cricket. I think there's no better experience. People love the short boundaries and high scoring. You'd know as a player, 
um, you're probably facing the bowler and you're thinking you can put him on the roof and the bowler's thinking, I don't want to be put on the roof. So um, people don't go to the same restaurant every night. They like to play at different... Uh, they like to go to different restaurants and I think that's from a, a fan experience. People like the MCG, it's 18,000 square metres. Eden Park's around 11,000 square metres. So very different in terms of the configurations. But, um, yeah, when you look at even from a, a New Zealand perspective, the climate emergency has been declared. Um, we need to be reusing and repurposing existing assets. We can't um, look to um, invest, what it be, three or five billion dollars on purpose-built assets for cricket and rugby. Um, we need to be utilising existing facilities and, and upgrading those to, to meet expectations. One of the other things we've got to be mindful of too with Eden Park is we're going to have the CRL on our doorstep and potentially the light rail going down Sandringham Road. So accessibility into the city makes us uh, five to ten minutes away. Nick, it's fantastic uh, to hear you talk so positively about uh, one of the great uh, meccas of uh, New Zealand sport, in fact, the mecca. Hey, good luck this weekend. Hope goes uh, it all goes swimmingly for you and uh, you get out of it what you want to and uh, New Zealand sport will, of course, be the beneficiary. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. You're a busy Absolute. man. Absolute pleasure, Smitty. And, uh, and just one final comment. I, I listened with much pride when uh, you did a story around uh, the Women's Cricket World Cup and your experiences at Eden Park. So thank you for your support and thank you for your contribution. I wouldn't be in the role I am today without people like yourself. Thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, I appreciate it, uh, Nick. Um, yeah, it was very special. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, we'll catch up. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Uh, 9.24 here on SENZ. Uh, we shall be back very shortly with uh, some texts. I can give you an update uh, on the cricket too. 119 for two in New Zealand. Um, and they need 50 of 53 balls with uh, Amelie Kerr and Maddie Green at the crease. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 40 from 45. Now for the White Ferns to win game one against the West Indies. Maddie Green is on 15 and 16, in fact, off 22. And Mealy Kerr, 35 from 55. They just took themselves into a bit of a hole there where they got it up to a runner ball, but now they've pulled back underneath that as well. So looks like they've got that pretty much under control. We'd love to hear from you, 0800-150-811, very shortly. Um, there must be uh, a number of issues to talk about. I'd love to hear from many Wellingtonians uh, on the prospect of going to the Shield game this weekend. You can go and watch the Shield and get home in plenty of time to watch the All Blacks. Are you going to go um, this weekend? Uh, that would be interesting. What are you expecting from this Test match at the weekend as well, if you're going to that one? Um, and, of course, uh, we've also got to, to talk about um, what you think about the T20 side. Who would you have in the T20 side? It's all very well to talk about it afterwards, but who would you like to see in the T20 side? Is there a spot there for Ish Sodi? Uh, is there a spot there for Cleaver? Do you want to Tom Latham in there? Uh, there are a number of issues uh, on a side that you would thought would probably have been pretty much settled in the thinking. Um, maybe it wasn't, after all. We'll uh, get your thoughts on that on 0800-150-811 very shortly. And, of course, uh, you're in uh, for a Chemist Warehouse voucher the value of 50 bucks as well as being the best caller. 9.31 and it's time for Aroha with the news. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
I'm 32 for three now in the, the women's cricket. Uh, Maddie Green has just uh, been dismissed. So still on for the West Indies. Uh, I'll just have to keep a cool head, the White Ferns, as they uh, go towards uh, victory here. Right, we've uh, asked for your calls and they've come through, which is great. John from Auckland. Good morning to you, mate. Yeah, morning, morning, Smitty. Hey, uh, what, what an insightful conversation you had this morning with the CEO of Eden Park. Really, really insightful. The only thing I'm confused with is what's the actual capacity of Eden Park? Some people say 47, 45, 48. Yeah. Well, I think it's flexible because uh, you know, on the, the far side, they can't do it on the uh, on the where the players run out, which is basically the southern side. But on the northern side, as such, uh, John, you can put temporary seating in because the the lowest tier of the main stand on that side, of course, is high enough for you to be able to put temporary seating in front of it. So I'd imagine you can bump it up from 47. I, I, I think they, they say around about 50. Uh, around about 50, oh, yeah. absolute jam-packed full. So, uh, yeah, uh, so there's a lot of administration involved uh, in that kind of thing. And, you know, I, people will still have uh, the bugbear about prices and, um, you know, the experience of the whole thing. But it's sold out, so people are happy, John. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, what I wanted to talk about was the All Blacks. I mean, um, you know, there's a few questions to be answered this week, especially with a few injuries there and here. Um, you'd probably see Papa Lee going to seven. Number 12 has been the talking point, the breakdown. They've had a few conversations. They believe that um, the Barrett, Barrett brother will start at 12 and maybe Tuivas will shake off the bench. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that they give Tuivas a shake just to go, mate. There's been a lot of talk online about um, oh the Blues players are letting the All Blacks down because they're missing tackles and whatnot. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know this is an All Blacks team we need to support, and hopefully, hopefully they put in someone that's been in in that system all year. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to say. Well, John, I, can I? We'll chat about that because I, I think you raise a very good point. Uh, I think they owe it to Roger Tuivasa-Shek to start him, and I'll tell you why because um, they made sure when they picked him in the initial all-black squad and took him away from the possibility of playing a lot of domestic rugby, etc., even club rugby, they took a lot of potential game time away from him, and that, of course, is what he's lacking. They've spent a lot of time clearly behind the scenes working on his skills, his communication, his defensive patterns, techniques, etc., like that. But it's been long enough, hasn't it? It's been long enough. Now, you know, he has to be given an opportunity to start, for me, in that back line, on Saturday night, I know it's a big game, um, you know, it's a, there's a championship on the line, but goodness me, uh, he's a big game player. He knows how to handle big occasions. It's just we need to know, and they need to know, and he needs to know if he's good enough, if he can cut it, start him. Yeah, exactly, mate, exactly, and that's my that's my point. Exactly, he should be at that 12 position. He's been there all year. I mean, he's setting alight the MPC Um be that, that that's not an international competition, but still, uh, he's got um, running metres on the board. But anyways, cheers, Smitty. I'll let you go. Okay, uh, John, nice to talk to you, as always. Uh, stay in touch. Joe from Gizzy. G'day, Joe. How are you, man? Yeah, morning, morning, uh, Smitty. How was your royalist experience last night? Were you in your Queen slippers and uh, have your Queen Mother cup there with your cup of tea, did you? You're right. Hey, did you look through the window? <laughs> oh, I don't understand. Mate, mate, you've gone, Joe, you've gone you, viral, but you, you went viral. I thought you were. I, I thought you were. I thought you were a gizzy boy, and you've been looking through the window. Honestly, I um, I was wrapped with the whole thing. Uh, it just was, uh, the precision of it, the the magnitude of it, and the precision of it. 
as they said, they've been planning for decades. She's lived that long. They've been getting ready for this for such a long time. But when it actually comes to it, when it comes to it, uh, Joe and putting it all together, word perfect, uh, and the clock, fitting the clock, it was just, just amazing. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. She'd have loved it too, I would yeah. imagine. So a great tribute. You wish the right? You wish a rugby game could go that clinical one day and to a set precise face, Smitty. But uh, well, you would, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, just, if it went to cl- yeah, yeah. But I'll just um, just talking earlier about the stadium. It's a great interview with our man from Eden Park, by the way, Smitty. Absolutely outstanding. Um, I've been I lived sixteen years around the world and uh, tried to go to every sporting event I ever could. I went to um, the Daryl Royal Stadium at Texas Longhorns University. Yes. Now capacity is a hundred thousand. And they only have between four and six home games a year. And they've played on Tuesdays, and they are sold out. So, absolutely outstanding experience going to a university game there. I went to Super Bowl 2011 when the Packers got up against the Steelers at uh, AT&T Stadium in Dallas there, in Fort Worth. And a uh, brilliant, brilliant stadium. Had a 100-metre-long jumbotron, you know. So, we there, had a great, great experience at the Super Bowl. Um, I was in Brazil in Rio de Janeiro, on a holiday and went to the Macarena to watch a club side. Now that's like the iconic uh, Rio de Janeiro Stadium where the Brazil play. So, yep. uh, but packed out 80,000 80, people, about $3 to get in for a club game back then. That's, so another great that's stadium. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I lived, and I lived in London, based in London for 10 years. So obviously, clicking in and, and Wembley, I went to Wembley, 120,000 people at the Foo Fighters. Now that's, that's a stadium rocking, I tell you. And then, but one of the, one of the best stadiums I've been to for football is is the New Camp in Barcelona, where you've got people whose tickets are willed to each other. They're in their estate, and it is. On, on a, I was lucky enough to go to there with a uh, when they had the Galacticos playing, and Real Madrid came to town. What a game! Seen some of the greatest players, but you see the different things with service. Those great stadiums, the service is poor. Right, trying to get around, trying to get back for drinks. But you go to America. I went to the Yankees at the Bronx. Everything comes to your seat there. You know, you, you, the only thing you need to get up is go to the toilet. And people sometimes people don't even do that. But you can order everything off people walking up and down the steps. And that's the one thing we don't have at, at a lot of stadiums here is the service. Why would you go to eight minute game and get up halfway through the first half and go and get some beers? Right, I'm paying for eight minutes yeah. of footy. I'm, I'm sitting there watching my footy, and do I have to go at halftime? No, I get enough beers beforehand. But what you find is the experience at those other grounds, you're almost on tried on top of the players because of the, the, the height that they've built at. Um, but, yeah, absolutely brilliant experience trying to go to all the stadiums that you can, like Stade de France and all of these stadiums, just for the different experiences that they give you. And especially and when, when you go to somewhere where they sing, like in France they sing, at uh, Cardiff Arms Park, they sing. At Twickenham, they sing. And that, that kind of makes the stadium really different. Whereas you go to somewhere like America, they don't sing, they just clap and hoop and holler. And, you know, and that's a whole different experience when you go into stadiums. But, uh, yeah, I just think that what they're doing with, with Eden Park, we just need to back them. And, uh, and, you know, they need to make it, like you say, it's a multi-facility. And I think little things like having people going up and down the stairs to give you service so you don't have to move, uh, would be one of the things that, that I would add, but obviously the greatest, the greatest stadium is Lords and it's Smithy. How good's it going there on a on a Monday to go watch uh, or a Thursday to go watch the first day of cricket? Hey, 
Yeah, the Thursday, uh, the first day of a test match at Lords, or even the Saturday, uh, which is a traditional day where um, you know all all the regalia comes out, the pomp and the you know and the the atmosphere and. That is pretty special. It's totally different, uh, Joe, from uh, most of those stadiums that you went to. Totally agree with you about um, the ability to actually sit and watch an 80-minute game without having to go to um, to get refreshments, etc. I'm sure that's something they must look at. Uh, is there enough room and in, in, in when you cram the seats in, Joe, to, for people to get... I mean, if you're sitting in the middle of a row, how do people get beer to you? How do they get hot dogs to you. I mean, how does it work in America? You, you, well, well, you sit there and you, you have the person coming up and down and you, you put your arm up and you say, mm. you know, if, even if you're six or seven deep, you're like, oh, two hot dogs, two beers, and then uh, another sweet. And you pass the money along and they pass the food along. And I was even at one game where you could actually get your shirt printed, your name printed on the back of a shirt if, you were in, if you'd ordered before the fourth innings. They'd come up, right, here's a deal, Yankee shirts with your name on. So you pass money along. They come back in the fifth, sixth innings, and they give you your Yankee shirt with your name printed on the back. Right? Mm. That, 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 that was amazing. But, yeah, everyone, it's, it's a standard norm in the States. If you sit there, pass money along, yeah, popcorn, yeah, you know, anything, you know, fine wines coming out. You name it, they'll come up, and they just have different people walking up and down with all the different, uh, all the different things for sale. And, and it's just normal. People just, yeah, 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 pass along, yeah, 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 pass along. Because a lot of people, they don't want to get up, you know, and get to go and get whatever they need to get because you pay the ticket to actually uh, watch the game. And I was in Dunedin for the All Blacks test, the first Irish test. And we were sitting in the middle, right, all the way to the end. We had eight seats. And these people just kept coming through and through, through and through, you know, through the first half. And we're like, hey, what are you doing? You know, first they go to the toilet, then they come back, then they go get food, then they come back, then they get some beers and they come back. I said, mate, you just missed the first half of the game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it baffles, yeah, it baffles me, Smitty. You know, I just need to get a VIP, come sit next to you, you know, and then I can feed you, yeah. eh? and then we'll be done. <laughs> hey, let's do that. Let's do that. I'll, I'll, I'll get Brian to get your number, and if we can arrange it for this weekend at Eden Park, I'd love that. I'd love table service on the sideline. That'd be phenomenal. Hey, Joe, what a terrific... What a terrific call, uh, sharing your experiences there. Man, are you a well-travelled uh, sports fan, a very well-travelled sports fan. Congratulations on that, and I'd love to hear more stories, Joe, uh, when we open up the lines. Thanks so much for your call. We've got to move on. Uh, Zade from Auckland, who uh, is a noted Eden Park attendee, loves Eden Park. Zade, don't you? Yeah, I'm going I'm going on um, Saturday night. I'm looking forward for another win at Eden Park, hopefully. Um, don't want right. to curse it though, but but um, mm-hmm. yeah, and I want to see RCS starting at twelve. Um, there's no use putting this Geordie Barrett playing him out of position. It's just a muck around when you've got a a proper twelve that can play um, second five. So give Roger Tuivasa a shake a start because there's no one else to start at twelve um, because Quintu Pye and Rogers both um, Quintu Pye and um, Harvili both out. So it's ro- give Roger a go and see how he goes. Um, and um, great story, Winston Reid announced his retirement um, yesterday. Um, one of the best footballers from New Zealand. Um, had a, about 200 games for West Ham. Um, yeah, great great player. And, um, yeah, cool to see him uh, get retire at home, obviously at, um, at Eden Park on Sunday, which will be pretty cool for him to retire against Aussie as well. It's pretty fitting. There's no really better way to go out. 
And one other thing, um, what a mess this netball story is between New Zealand and Jamaica. I've never heard so much of a mess of a, trying to get a team over. How hard is it just to get a team to New Zealand? I think it's bizarre, Zaid. I'm, I'm going to look into this and uh, get... Uh, I, I can't see this going ahead. I mean, how can you... Do you have seven on a court? And they've only got seven players for a whole series. Now, this is a very high-profile event, the Tiny Jameson Trophy. We hear about it. We've highlighted it in the past. The, the, you know, um, the Silver Ferns get up for it. Um, and you would just imagine what's going on behind the scenes here. Uh, David Cooper is the CEO of New Zealand Netball. We might get him on tomorrow. But visas, what's, where's it all gone wrong? Visas, I mean, we're not even talking COVID anymore here. Yeah? It should be quite simple. Go back to the old days of just hopping on a plane and getting here. Where is, where's it all gone wrong? I mean, this is not, this series has not sprung up overnight. Excellent point, Zaid. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, that is it uh, this morning, unfortunately, uh, for those people who tried to get on. But uh, I enjoyed Zoe's, uh, Joey's call. Uh, brilliant. Joey from uh, Gizzy. Uh, on those experiences around the world. Man, some of those venues. Uh, 9.46 here on SENZ. We'll be back very shortly. It's 1.45 for four on the cricket. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 1.50 for five now on the cricket. New Zealand still need 19 runs from 19 balls. And uh, without uh, Mealy Kerr, who's 41 from 64, but playing a little bit rashly, I think it's fair to say we'd be under threat of not getting these because there's not a lot to come. Brooke Halliday's just come at the non-striker's end. Uh, we need an innings of substance and Mealy Kerr's just hit a four to take all the pressure off. A little bit of risk involved, so uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, some of uh, your texts that uh, have become... Incidentally, the coverage of the cricket is abysmal. It's abysmal. Uh, they've cut it down. I, I compare it to the coverage of the men's cricket against the West Indies not that long ago, which was very good. Uh, the camera work here is terrible. Uh, the number of cameras there, the picture is shoddy. Uh, and I'm just saying to myself, what is going on? The other thing is, there is absolutely nobody at the ground. And the West Indies Cricket Board, I can promise you, have not got a lot of money. So uh, this would be hurting them. Um, and uh, it's just starting to reflect a wee bit in the coverage, which is not good. A uh, couple of texts that have come in regarding uh, service, table service, shall we say, seat service at the ground. If we had people ser serving food to see the people in the stadium, you'd have to be a millionaire to pay for it. Well, that's an interesting uh, point of view. Uh, Craig has come in and said, uh, Smithy, uh, the Sanzar judiciary uh, on Swain last night, hope he gets uh, banned. Any news through yet? Craig from Tauranga. Well, Craig, we've uh, looked into it through the system. As, as yet, we have had no notification on any of our, um, what do we say, uh, methods of communication. We have not uh, seen anything on the fate of Darcy Swain and whether he'll turn up at Eden Park this Saturday night. It's uh, 9.53 here and uh, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, uh, we shall have a multi. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
I'll get to the multi in a second, but the players are shaking hands in the cricket, and I'm not sure who's won because New Zealand still need 10 from 12 balls. Uh, but the umpires have said enough's enough. They've taken the bails off, and the New Zealand batters, uh, Brooke Halliday and Amelie Kerr, were standing in the middle of the pitch as the West Indies walked off and started to shake hands. I don't know who's won this yet. I'll try and get some verification on it. Uh, but a weird, a really weird, um, really, really weird scenario there. Uh, we'll try and work out what's fair. And still, uh, Hayley Matthews has got her players in the middle talking about things as uh, the umpires and the New Zealand batters walk off. Bizarre. Anyway, we'll get the the, uh, the real definitive on that shortly. Um, we need the White Ferns to win because they were part of yesterday's multi. We got the rest up, $3.66 uh, we're waiting for there. Today, the Philadelphia Eagles will uh, beat the Minnesota Vikings, I believe. Uh, that is an uh, NFL action. That's at $1.63. In MLB action, American sport dominates the early part of the week. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers to beat the New York Mets in uh, Major League Baseball, $1.85. And tomorrow morning, in the early hours of the morning, India will beat Australia in the first of their T20 clashes at $1.56. Being played in India, I think home advantage counts a lot there. $4.70. We shall be back here shortly after the news with Araha with a panel. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Hamish Pitbull is with us this morning and also regular Mark Watson is with us as well. And Mark, if I can start with you, please. You've watched and seen a lot of sport. A lot of touring teams come to our shores. Never before have I seen a team with only enough players able to take the court. And that's it because of uh, visa or other complicated issues. I cannot get my head around this tiny Jamison issue, Mark. No, look, it's, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? We haven't seen it historically. Um, this is a team that finished second at the Commonwealth Games in Jamaica. Appears to be issues uh, um, with the United States and how you can have management and the level of infrastructure. I'm assuming that the infrastructure in and around this team, you'd have to historically say is pretty good that they can somehow um, have such visa issues and that we've got, what, seven players arriving here to take on New Zealand and, you know, inarguably one of the great challenges of netball. And now we're sort of left here probably having to prop them up with a number of um, players from this country. And, yes, yeah, suddenly all the credibility for this tiny Jamison trophy um, is no longer zero credibility to it. I'm not actually sure what they're playing for. And actually just reading too that I wasn't actually aware too that they're also missing the likes of Janelle Fowler. Uh, Sterling, their goalkeeper, is also going to be absent and a number of other Commonwealth Games medalists. So in addition to the squad being reduced to just seven, prior even with the full squad, they still would have been missing a, a number of their marquee players. So um, disappointing, I would have thought, for broadcaster Sky Television as well. Not ideal. Not good for netball, not good for women's sport, Hamish Bidwell. And, uh, I mean, I've been on a number of tours and I, I guess I just take it for granted, but you, you hand in all your documentation and you just assume that visas and things will be granted and the, the whole team would travel as a unit. Not so the case this time around. Quite bizarre, I feel. Yeah, there's been a slight precedent before. Uh, I think it was last year. England came out, but minus all their Australian-based players, and so that series was a waste of time as well. Um, yeah, with 
with every sport, it's the host nation's responsibility to make sure that um, they get the opposition here. And they must have known after a pinnacle event like the Commonwealth Games that people like Janiel Fowler weren't going to play. You know, you're putting games on for game's sake. You know, we, we see this all the time with people. They, they're having to play amongst themselves or play the blokes teams because they're not well organised enough to get people here or they're not sufficiently attractive to bring people here. And I think a lot of that goes back to the the dismantling of the ANZ Championship with Australia. Like, relations between those two nations aren't that good. Australian netball's in a bit of disarray itself, but they're the team that we should be playing. You know, that they would come with a full-strength team. Jamaica had other commitments. They weren't going to come. It's difficult getting them here. I think it goes back to deciding who you're going to play and making better plans and getting the right team to come like Australia. Well, we know Australia are coming here on Saturday night, Hamish. Um, after Bledis, this is for uh, Bledisloe 2 and effectively it's not for the Bledisloe Cup, it's uh, all done uh, but the tra- Rugby Championship is up for grabs, uh, quite bizarre happenings on Saturday night though to get over, or Thursday night to get over Yeah, I, I actually wrote something for Rugby Pass prior to the match saying I hope that Matthew Raynell's not the star of the show and that we're not debating afterwards not the merits of the teams but whether a particular law's fit for purpose and whether it was right for Raynell to dictate the outcome. So, look, if Bernard Foley kicks the ball out, Australia won the game, probably. And it's on him. He had time to kick it out. He didn't kick it out. But I, as a fan, um, as someone who doesn't have a horse in the race, and you know, I write about these games, but only in the sense of the, 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 the outcomes dictating what I write. I'm not too bothered about who wins. Um, I want to see the ball in play. I want to see less input from PMOs, assistant referees and referees. I want rugby to be a simpler game to understand and a game where the athletes dictate the result. And there's too many areas where officials can intervene. Uh, We've sought to try and create a perfect game and we've created a a muddled game, a game where you can whistle anything at any time. As we saw with Raynell at the end, they're quite unprecedented, that decision. And it's just a shame for fans. You know, Thursday in Australia without AFL and NRL on, a lot of non-rusted-on rugby fans watched that match and walked away bemused, and it confirmed their worst suspicions about rugby being an overly officiated game and a difficult-to-understand game, and, and they might not be back. As good as the contest was, as, you know, give credit New Zealand for coming back. Um, they spoiled an opportunity to promote the game in Australia, and I think in terms of the Wallabies, they fired their shot, and I don't expect them to put up much competition at Eden Park. Uh, look, I, I'm I'm in agreement there uh, with you about uh, the, the rugby rules side of things, the administrative side of things in terms of how the game is progressing. And uh, we've got uh, an ally too, and uh, Alan Jones, who uh, talks about him, uh, was talking about a pipsqueak from Paris being <laughs> the bloke that decided the outcome of the game, as only Alan Jones could do. But he also went on to say that the game is being horribly over-officiated, uh, TMOs, etc. Mark Watson... Um, and to be honest, uh, anyone that's watched rugby for a long period of time, if it isn't heading that way, it's got there. Yeah, look, I think um, a former colleague of mine, I think Chris Rowdy, summed it up nicely in the Herald too. You know you're going to head to the World Cup next year, and you know by the time it gets to quarterfinal, semi-final time, more often than not, we're going to be talking about the referees, we're going to be talking about the marginal calls that have led to either a yellow card or a red card, which have ultimately dictated the outcome of the game. It'll be officiating... Um, in terms of their interpretations and this nitpicking rather than the rugby itself. And there's a part of a reason why soccer and basketball are the global sports they are because they're very simple to follow. They've got a really low entry point in 
Um, I've always said it, you know, if you want a global point of view in rugby, it's, it was always going to be sevens, and I think we've seen that. Uh, look, it's, um, yeah, uh, look, disappointing. I mean, I think there's just inconsistencies too here. I mean, there are, you know, they're slowing the game down every time they set a scrum. They're slowing the game down every time they go to a line-out. I mean, if, you, if, if you're going to be pedantic out slowing it down, you've got to be consistent throughout the game. You can't just pick up on one one key moment, and it was a decisive moment. And as Hamish said, what is it with French referees? I mean, you know, we saw it with the British and Irish Lions, didn't we, in that third test back in 2017 against the All Blacks. But, look, I still think that the guy that will be loving all of this is Ian Foster, because let's be honest, mate, the All Blacks lost that test match, in my mind. They lost that test match, and we should be talking about yet another loss under Ian Foster, and we're not. The focus is on the referees, and so I think he sort of got out of jail. I'm not as convinced that the All Blacks will walk over this Australian team. Um, if Ian Foster wasn't in charge, I'd be with you, but look, we hadn't really lost to Ireland and up until 2017, and he was part of that Hanson set-up, and then we've lost to Ireland this year. We've lost to Argentina under Steve Hanson for the first time in history in Australia and now this year, so why not? Why not the All Blacks lose for the first time at Eden Park since 1994? I don't like to say it, but you're starting to see a little bit of a, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern emerge with Ian Foster and his All Black teams. I get frustrated when once again I read about how they've sat down there in a meeting, they've taken a hard long look at themselves, some pretty honest conversations. I mean, that sort of rhetoric and crap we've been hearing all year, yet nothing seems to be able to change um, every two weeks. We just don't seem to have the mental fortitude or aptitude or perhaps we just simply don't have the players. Um, yeah, so look, Saturday night will be fascinating. It will be fascinating. Um, Hamish, uh, I'll give you an opportunity uh, to either agree or disagree with that. And I'll also ask you, Hamish, what would you do with Darcy Swain if you were on the judiciary when you saw that act? Yeah, that's that's one of the frustrations I have. Like, you can you can do Bernard Foley for wasting time, but you can look at Swain's act as the referee and as the TMO and the ARs, and you can decide that's cool. That's just a yellow. Like, uh, I'd give him sort of six weeks. I'd rub him out for the rest of the year. Um, and if I were Dave Rooney, I wouldn't pick him. I just don't think you can have someone who's a walking penalty and someone who's sort of liable to to commit grubby acts. Like, that's... You don't need that. Like, I don't... You can never judge intent. I wouldn't say that he went to try and injure... Quinty Pyre, but it was bloody ugly. And again, like it was to me, it was like watching um, a, a cricket one where a guy nicks the ball into his pads. Like it's a clear, it's a clear not out. Like how can you look at the pictures that we all saw of what Swain did and not decide that that's a red card? Like that, that shocks me. And it comes back to just, I don't know. It's hard. Rugby wants to be black and white, but there's heaps of grey. And we talk about empathy and feel for the game. That's cool. Well, if if there's empathy for the game then the decisions are different. I, I, you know, it's either black and white. Like the Foley thing, like he should have kicked the ball out. It's, it's, there's no grey area there. Like we want it grey and we want it black and what we want feel for the game, but we want litter of the law when it suits us. So the Swain thing, litter of the law, I think he goes. But then we want, we want empathy with, with Foley. Like we are a bit contradictory as fans. Mm. We are. We are indeed. Um, Mark Watson... We say goodbye to Winston Reid as an international footballer this weekend at uh, Eden Park. Uh, he's been a terrific servant. I, I think one of the forerunners too uh, when it comes to real professionalism in football for New Zealanders. 
Oh, yeah, look, anybody that's played more than 200 and odd games, West Ham in the highest um, form of the game, which is the English Premier League, is certainly um, a remarkable athlete, not dissimilar to what Stephen Adams has done in basketball and the likes of Sean Marks and Kirk Penny before them. Um, look, yeah, yeah, I mean, for a long time, it was always just, we just really only ever talked about Winton Rufa, didn't we, um, in terms of New Zealand football individually or New Zealand footballer individually making their mark internationally there's been you know there has been other players that have sort of played in Dutch leagues and the odd player that's played in sort of the first or second divisions but yeah Winston Reid I mean it just I think the story in it is that you can grow up and take a Puna and you can end up playing in the highest leagues in the world and if he's done it everybody else can do it and you know Chris Wood's there now and these guys are showing a pathway and Winton Roof are similar. Like you're not going to necessarily go straight to England. You might have to go to Europe and play in some lesser leagues and some lesser countries. But you can get there. And I, you know, this is what sort of frustrates me at times. While the Holbein Awards, we're quite insular in terms of what we look at when we look at individual athletes because they might go and, you know, win something in a game which is not really that global, it's sort of world famous more in this country and then you get the likes of the Winston Reeds who just go out there and you go do you know how good you have to be to make the starting lineup for West Ham? How good you have to be to even get your foot in the door? How big this game is in the UK? How big this game is in Europe? How many kids are trying to get there? And when you look at it and add it all up you know, you're talking about 0.001% eventually get through to it and um, yeah, and then clearly Winston Reid's, um, you know, and what he achieved in the 2010 Football World Cup, you know, um, what about three players, I think, four players in history have scored goals for New Zealand in a World Cup, and he is one of them. So, yeah, really nice that he's coming home and having a farewell here in two games against the Aussies. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it's actually turning out to be quite a nice touch, this double header against the, the Aussies. Uh, Hamish Bidwell, I'm a little bit surprised to see there's still quite a few... Uh, quite a lot of tickets left, actually, having spoken to the CEO of uh, Eden Park this morning uh, on the back end of a, a big double header uh, in Auckland, well, triple header, really, because, the, of course, the Black Ferns are playing Japan uh, in the first of those uh, three matches. So, Winston Reid and, and the All Whites at home for the first time in five years. Uh, impressions of that, uh, Hamish? Yeah, they really need to promote the heck out of the Reid angle. Like, there's obviously a Danish component to his development, and we've seen... You know, previously with someone like Simon Elliott, when you don't have a club contract, as Reid doesn't, you're a shelf life to your international career. But it's so important for kids to see people like Reid. Um, you can't dream what you can't see. And I wasn't a QPR or Spurs or Blackburn Rovers fan, but I watched every game that Ryan Nelson played in the EPL for those teams because I was so proud of him. I took inspiration from that, and I would get my son and make him watch. And it was the same with Reid at West Ham. Like, we, ha- we don't do enough to celebrate our heroes and other codes. We're a bit rugby focused. Like this, there's a huge football community out here. It's a highest participation sport. Like we have to, if we if we love the game, and we have to support the game. And I can't think of a better opportunity to support football and support the All Whites than this than this game at Eden Park. Like um, Australia are our, our rival because of they're in Asia and we're in Oceania. We we really play. Like this is a huge event, and we should be celebrating that, and we should be promoting Reed, and we should be sending them off in good fashion. Right, uh, let's uh, look at uh, Hamish. Uh, the Black Caps are due to be named for the T20 World Cup. I think we're one of the last squads actually to be finalised. Uh, what are you expecting? Are there any contentious positions, Hamish, for you in this squad? Perhaps out of Milne, um, and whether he comes in or whether they, they like Matt Henry. Um, I think you need some gas in Australia, and I, I certainly like Milne. 
in some ways I'm not bothered about who they pick because I don't expect much from them. Um, they did really well in the UAE um, in the last T20 World Cup, but those pitches get a bit tired, and that it suits New Zealand's batting lineup. I mean, in a in an ODI sense, they're not a team that chases down 350. They're they're a grinding team, and I was um, hardly, you know, extremely disappointed with their effort in Australia because they were wickets and totals that traditionally suit New Zealand's batting lineup. We're not an explosive team. We're not in a T20 game going to beat better teams with scores of 200. We we're a 160, 170 team at best. And I thought batting in Australia was really poor. Uh, the way they absorbed so many dot balls, the lack of urgency to, to get between wickets. I, I thought that those wickets, as difficult as they were, were tailor-made for New Zealand, and they didn't take advantage of that. And so I think our cricket's at a bit of a low ebb. Um, I don't know whether how much of that stems from the skipper. Um, so much of the order relies upon him to score the bulk of your runs. Um, I was encouraged with Selectin Allen. I don't know whether he'll open at this tournament. I think he should be given the opportunity to. We saw with Guptill that if you don't feed him four balls, he battles to turn the strike over. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have great hopes for New Zealand. Obviously, I think they'll bring Sodi back. I'd like to see Milne, but I suspect they'll go with Henry. Otherwise, it's largely the team that went to Australia to play 50 over cricket. I think you're right. I don't think we've got uh, too much uh, depth in terms of uh, picking them a T20 for 50 over cricket but um, you might have a different uh, view on that uh, Mark Watson um, uh, traditionally Gary Stead and Gavin Larson don't pull very many rabbits out of the hat as such, uh, what are you expecting? Well if I'm picking this side I'm not taking Kane Williamson I, I think he's been terribly out of form I don't like his captaincy, I think he's too conservative I don't think there's room for being conservative in T20 cricket, I'm not taking Martin Guptill I think his time's up, I think he's good at home but I'd think he continues to underwhelm when he plays overseas and if you look at the recent um, Chapel Hadley series I think again he proved that Australian conditions he's just not suited to I mean you've got the likes of Conway Phillips um, you know I like Mark Chapman uh, Jimmy Neesham yeah Mitch Santner another one um, you know do you start him and Anish Sodi I mean I think slow bowling at T20 cricket has proven to be uh, very very effective but I think yeah if you're asking me who I'd leave out where the, those contentious decisions are. I think it is time for Kane Williamson to sit this one out. I think it is time for Martin Guptill. You, you want to get the same results, keep picking the same sort of team. But, you know, I think the bigger question is when are we actually going to have a review into the last 12 months of New Zealand cricket? When are we going to start holding this cricket team accountable like we do the All Blacks? They do suck up a lot of the media coverage over summer. They are our sort of summer sport. Um, historically, I'm outside of your era, Smithy, the 80s. I mean, you know, maybe there hasn't been a lot of expectation on this team. And so we're somewhat, you know, sort of immune to their failings. But, you know, we had a really good era under Brendan McCullum in recent times. Certainly, um, you know, I think we're in decline. And I think we owe it to the New Zealand public to ask starting some hard questions and making some tough decisions. And, yeah, how much longer should Gary Stead also be in charge of all three forms of the game? I just think they're far too conservative in their approach. Would you start, uh, uh, Hamish Bidwell, would you start Roger Tuovasa-Shek this weekend? After, you know, hasn't it been this apprenticeship, this learning process, this curve, hasn't it been long enough now? No, he hasn't played in the international rugby of consequence, what is it, 10 minutes against Ireland or what have you. No, I wouldn't play him at all. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. One, I think Barrett, Geordie Barrett is a better bet at 12 than, than anything they've got available at the moment. And two, that enables Will Jordan to play at fullback. I think 
We have wasted some very good fullbacks on the wing, like Israel Dagg and Ben Smith and now Jordan, and they've done a job for us because they're talented players, but they've not given the best opportunity to utilise their skills. So I'd pick Reese on the wing, I'd put Jordan at fullback, and I'd play Jordy Barrett at 12. Okay, cool. Right, um, just finally, um, we're having a bit of a Mount Rushmore today on Stadia, um, famous stadia or famous stadiums that you've uh, been to. Uh, you've been to some wonderful af- athletics venues, etc. Mark Watson, what's your standout uh, venue around the world? The, a sporting venue you've been to. It doesn't have to be for athletics. Oh, it'd have to be Anfield, uh, Liverpool. Um, not necessarily because of the grandiose stands, because it's certainly not in comparison, but you just go to a ground like that and just the sheer history that you can sort of... Um, I don't know, there's just all those little idiosyncrasies, those little subtleties from the, you know, from the Hillsborough Disaster Memorial through to the Shankly Gates, uh, being hardcore Liverpool and just understanding the history of the cop. That's for me. And the other one would be, and it's no longer in existence, would have been Maple Leaf Gardens for the Toronto Maple Leafs and ice hockey. Um, I was lucky enough to be there in 98 when it was the last season. Of, it was the last of the original six buildings still in use and another one where you walked in and the rafters and the smell of... I don't know, you could just sort of feel the history of the Stanley Cups and what that meant to that city. So they're my two. Cool. Okay. Uh, Hamish Bidwell, for you. Oh, Athletic Park. I loved Athletic Park. A mate of mine and I would go and watch Wellington B games, cult games, whatever. We loved the park. And the worse the better, the, the worse the weather, the better. Uh, it was just a fantastic venue. You felt you were right on top of the players. You felt they could hear you. You certainly could see them and, and feel the contact. And I... I love Athletic Park. I used to joke that I'd like to get married in the Millard stand, but it was torn down by the time I got that opportunity or found someone <laughs> unlucky enough to marry me. And um, the other one is Lords. I remember going, I've been there a few times, but the first time was 99, and I went there the day before New Zealand's test against England then and just sort of soaked it up and stood in front of the Grace Gates, and I was quite emotional. It's just like, this is a place you've heard about so much. It's the field of dreams for every international cricketer and, and to see it and to... To feel the atmosphere, even the deep was 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 quite, um, quite it was quite a palpable sense of 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 of, of importance. It was a real, it's a citadel of cricket. It's the home of cricket. You know, it's you've played there, you've commentated there. You know how unique it is and how special it is, especially the touring teams. Um, so yeah, they'd be the two for me. Yeah, uh, actually, and you you bring up a, a very good point there too, Hamish. You know, I think the test of a stadium and the character of a stadium is when you go there and nothing's going on. There's no match on. Uh, and you still get the same vibe from it. You still get the same feel. There's enough character about it for you to walk around and look at and think, wow, wouldn't I have loved to have been out there or wouldn't I love to be here tomorrow when it is full? Um, and that's an excellent point. And Lords is certainly one of those grounds that has so much ambience when you're not even witnessing any cricket. It is quite special. As was the panel this morning, I really enjoyed the opinions of Mark Watson and Hamish Bidwell. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a terrific remainder of the day, and we shall have another panel around about 10.20 tomorrow morning. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, officiating in sport continues to be uh, a real matter of interest, doesn't it? doesn't seem to be a uh, matter uh, which sport you're talking about either. So they'll be talking about the umpires in the Caribbean this morning because the White Ferns have won on the Duckworth-Lewis system method by five runs, right? Five runs. They scored 168 for seven. 
uh, and there are a lot of 35 overs. Game started late because of the ramifications of Cyclone Fiona um, and uh, the West Indies. Uh, sorry, the West Indies scored 168 for seven and then reply White Ferns 159 for five, so winning by five runs in the DLS method. Uh, the umpires called it off two overs early. Uh, I don't understand why. I simply don't understand why. There was no danger element in it. The batters were quite clearly having a crack at the ball. They were swinging wildly. Um, you know, the game was reaching a point where New Zealand was still favourites to win it. But they called it off. And the umpires in both teams were actually aghast. Both teams were aghast. Uh, first of all, New Zealand were because they weren't sure that they were ahead on the Duckworth-Lewis system, so the batters stood in the middle of the pitch. And then the West Indies women walked off with their arms up in the air looking at the umpires in disbelief. So again, again, we just... I don't understand it. I really don't. I'm sorry. It is uh, 10.31 here. We shall have um, Black Caps uh, T20 World Cup squad for you very shortly. But in the meantime, here is the news from Aroha. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, Louis Herman, what uh, joins us this morning? And uh, we don't just have... uh, Trouble with tracks in New Zealand. They've already abandoned two meetings in Australia today. Horsham is off, and so is uh, Orange as well. So it's uh, both sides of the Tasman which has been affected by this horrible spell of weather. Uh, Louis Herman, what? Um, so uh, we'll um, we'll have to talk about that. Of course, uh, on the back of uh, two standout performances at the weekend with uh, Animo, of course, uh, and uh, we've also uh, got. Uh, Nature's trip to talk about the, the horse of Sir Steve Hansen, which was unbelievably good at the weekend. So it was just a wonderful performance uh, resuming. Uh, Eduardo looked like it was uh, going to win leading into the straight, galloping along quite nicely. And then if Nature's trip with uh, James McDonald timed the run to perfection. What a beast, uh, Louis Herman. What? Not talking about you, I'm talking about Nature's trip. What a beast. Yeah, Nature's trip. Absolute animal. I mean, if they didn't beat him in the weekend, how are they going to beat him again? You know, like, seriously. He just, oh, I think early in his career, when he was going up against the bivouacs of the world, and he he, he got a reputation that like he was hard to catch. Like, you, you really you couldn't punt him because you just didn't know. But I think that's dumb. And I think it's been dumb for a long, long time. But now, first up like that, rating through the roof. Um, I'm sorry, Eduardo. Sounds like Classic Legend might be a little bit groggy and I don't know if they'll, they'll make it to the Everest with him. And Lost in Running was the big big improver, though. I mean, he is absolutely flowing. And I see Hugh Bowman has been stood down for 12 days for dropping his hands. Not that he was ever going to beat the second-place horse. Now, he dropped his hands one stride out from the post where literally the horse's head, Lost in Running, was coming back towards him. So if he pushed forward... Nothing would have happened apart from really got a broken nose. So I do not know how he's been suspended. I, I saw that and I thought it was ridiculous. But Nature Strip definitely the one to beat in the Everest, buddy. Okay, um, no doubt about that. Uh, Animo was the other star of the day. Um, did that one on the bit as well? Yeah, now apparently Animo was okay. But he did pull up lame. So play on for now. But we'll watch that one with a lot of intensity over the next wee while because you don't like horses to have their preparations disrupted. Um, speaking of, Zaki has had his preparation disrupted, but I wonder how much J-Mac had to do with that because he turns up next weekend at Sandown on Sunday 
because obviously AFL Grand Finals are today, so they don't have any racing in Victoria on the Saturday. Well, feature racing anyway. So Sandown on Sunday, J-Mac will head to ride, and he's just keeping his options wide open for the Cox Plate, is James. Louis, uh, we're doing this thing this morning about um, favourite uh, sporting venues that you've been to around the world, our Mount Rushmore as such. Favourite racetrack? Ooh, 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 ooh. Very good question. Um, favourite one to punt is Ellerslie. Um, mm. Favourite one internationally to punt is Flemington headquarters. I think it's the fairest track anywhere, probably almost around the world. I think it's incredibly fair. Every horse gets its chance. Best racetrack I've ever been to. Well, not the best, but the coolest, Mooney Valley. Um, well, one of them. Actually, that's not necessarily fair because there are some really cool ones around New Zealand. Ruakaka would get a shout, um, being right mm-hmm. on the beach there. I think if you go down to the west coast, Kamara um, is pretty special. But Mooney Valley, for a Cox Plate, you pretty much feel like you're sitting on top of Winks as Hugh Bowman salutes for the fourth time in four years. Oh, I love that day with everything. And um, just the amphitheatre that it is, it's so loud in there and a bit smaller and a little bit more New Zealand, a bit rustic, we'll call it. Good on you, Louis. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, we'll check in tomorrow with you because of certainly Wednesday racing here, and I know you have uh, a little bit of inside information that the, our punters will uh, love that you share. Well, have a great day. Have a terrific day, Louis. Cheers, Smithy. Chat tomorrow, mate. Yep, OK. We'll take a short break. When we come back, uh, cricket information coming through. Hopefully it is 10.37, is it? Uh, in fact, no. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll read out a couple of texts. I'll read out a couple of texts because uh, that'll make Logan, just looking at his body language, a lot happier. Um, Marina Smithy, uh, what a circus the netball series is experiencing currently. Surely it must come at a financial cost to TV, uh, the venues, the sponsors, and importantly, it diminishes the mana of the event. Uh, that being a tiny Jamison trophy. Uh, I, like you, cannot believe that such a farcical situation could happen. Once again, we've been found wanting in the professional arena. Once again, uh, it's from uh, our great friend Hone from uh, Tokomaru Bay, and uh, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, without knowing the ins and outs of uh, the visa situation, which we'll endeavour to get to the bottom of by tomorrow, uh, I, I can't quite fathom it. This is international sport. You know, we, we've been through this with COVID. You know, we've 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 had all these scenarios where we couldn't get people in because of uh, isolation problems etc um, and you know it just to me it just seems weird it seems absolutely weird that in this uh, day of technology etc that you cannot now that the world is up and running get people from A to B to play a sporting event which has been scheduled for quite some time mm, interesting right uh, let's look at uh, Brendan has come through and said uh, his four stadiums Carisbrook Millennium Stadium, Suncorp Stadium, and Croke Park. Well, what a difference that is, Carisbrook. Carisbrook uh, to Croke Park. Carisbrook uh, was amazingly unique stadium. You're absolutely right about that, Brendan. And if you're any fan of Otago rugby or even All Black rugby for that point of view, um, it was amazing. It was a pretty average cricket ground, I've got to say, and pretty cold at times, particularly if you played night cricket there. But uh, that southerly would whistle through, and uh, the old hands even inside wicket-keeping gloves would get... Just a touch frosty. But uh, Carisbrook's an interesting one. Not on my list, Brendan, but thanks for your text. It's 10.40 now. All winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa.
This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.44 here on SENZ and uh, we promised you the uh, Black Caps T20 World Cup squad uh, officially named this morning and uh, Logan, you've got it. Yeah, hot off the press here, Smithy. Uh, it's all gone down at Avondale College, which is Black Caps bat- batsman Martin Guptill's old school just down the road from me. He's been selected for his record seventh T20 World Cup. The 35-year-old's inclusion was part of a largely predictable 15-player squad uh, for the T20 showpiece in Australia next month, which, of course, Smithy, you are part of the commentary team for, so I can't wait for that. The team, as announced, is... Kane Williamson, captain. Finn Allen, Trent Bolt, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Devin Conway with the wicket keeping gloves, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Glenn Phillips, Mitch Santner, Ish Sodi, and Tim Southey. That is the team going to Australia. All right, can you just run through it again, please? Kane Williamson, Finn yep. Allen, Trent Bolt, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Devin Conway with the gloves, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Satner, Ish Sodi, and Tim Salvi. Okay, thanks very much for that. Um, we'll have Gary Stead as soon as we can, probably just after 11 o'clock. First impressions, predictable, yes. Interesting slot there for me as Mark Chapman got uh, that <coughs> conjecture spot in the middle order. Um, I think uh, it's a good selection because he's got a, quite a dynamic player and has been quite a good finisher for New Zealand. So don't mind uh, Mark Chapman in there. A uh, little bit worried about the, the wicket-keeping side of it. Um, and I, I know Devin Conway is uh, efficient, wants to do the job, etc., and is fine for 20 overs. Uh, the backup one, I would imagine, is uh, Glenn Phillips because uh, I was thinking myself uh, that either go for Dane Cleaver, which I thought would have been a proactive selection, um, and then uh, there was speculation that they might go back to Tom Latham as a safety valve, which I thought was probably a bit of a defensive mood in that uh, that regard, a, a bit more of an insurance policy. So I, I, I don't mind that side. I, I think it's great to know that Trent Bolt is available for us. Uh, I think that's uh, one of the standout features of it, the fact that he is able to, uh, to uh, play in this particular tournament. There's a window available for him, so that's cool. And on the back of his form uh, in Australia and uh, in the West Indies, uh, absolutely need him, quite superb. Tim Southey uh, is a given there, so I don't have a problem with that. And I applaud the selection of Ish Sodi. We saw um, the evidence of uh, what, what uh, Adam Zampa was able to do to New Zealand, decent leg spin bowler. Sure, he's going to bowl some bad ball. Sure, he's going to go for a few. Uh, but he's going to get people out because uh, the, mind, the mindset against leg spinners is that you can attack them. They are players that you can have a crack at, and they are vulnerable in that sense. But uh, I like the, the selection of him. Michael Bracewell is an interesting one for me. Uh, hasn't quite made the grade at a serious international cricket, sure. He played uh, pretty well against Ireland, or was it Scotland? It's uh, pretty forgettable, but one of those two sides he uh, absolutely knocked around, and that was good as in his introduction, but certainly was far from uh, conclusive uh, in his outings against uh, Australia. So uh, there's still a bit of a question mark there in terms of his all-round role, but aside from that, quite like it. Uh, where would I like to see Finn Allen bat? I'd like to see Finn Allen open with Martin Guptill to begin the tournament. And then I bat Devin Conway at three and have Kane Williamson at four. I think Conway's got to be in the mix, especially as a left-hander as well. So that's where I would go in the first up game. And uh, our first game 
is against Australia at the SCG on October the 22nd, and that will be a packed house. Oh, that will be such a good one, Smithy. And, I mean... What a perfect way to set the tone for their campaign as well when we talk so much about the mental side of things and how they just can't get up against the Australians. You know, and we saw with the Women's Cricket World Cup early, earlier in the year, the White Ferns going down early, that kind of put them on the back foot. And, I mean, we'd hate to see it with the Black Caps as well. So this is the perfect time for them to kind of turn things around there. Love the inclusion, as you say, with East Sodi. Perhaps maybe a little change in fortune and, you know, we can take it to those Aussies, don't you think? Yeah, we can we can take it to them, but can we finish them off? That, that is the problem. We, we often take it to Australia, but we don't close the deal. And so uh, that's one of the questions uh, I'll be asking Gary Stead. What about the mindset? Uh, having come back from 3-0 down and uh, not being able to ram home winning advantages in that series, where does it leave him in terms of the mental preparation uh, for this side about winning that one? Because... Effectively, uh, we're in the same group as England, and my understanding is we have to win one of those two games. England are dangerous. England with Josh Butler and co are a very, very dangerous side. Uh, so we have to win either against Australia or against England to make the top two in our group. If we don't do that, then we're out. So there's a bit of a cutthroat nature about having to win one of those two games. There are some TBDs, uh, in other words, to be determined venues, uh, um, opposition sides with uh, to be determined venues as well because the qualifying side of it starts a lot earlier than we get there uh, and then uh, those sides that qualify through into the main grouping uh, will make up uh, those extra matches uh, as far as New Zealand are concerned. There's also a banana skin in there called Afghanistan. Afghanistan with uh, a number of spinners, leg spinners, etc. Uh, they have the ability to tie us up in knots. I'm not quite sure about their batting ability but their bowling and fielding side of things makes Afghanistan a genuine banana skin. So more questions to ask uh, Gary Stead after 11 o'clock. If you've got a question you would like uh, me to ask him on your behalf, uh, text us, please, on 8833. That's our temper bedpost uh, text machine, 8833. Uh, you can uh, text us one and, uh, through, and I'll ask Gary Stead that, that very question if you like. It's uh, 10.51 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll have a chat to hopefully with Brendan Popperwell before 11 o'clock from the TAB. Winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's coming up to 10.57 here on SENZ and uh, very, very, very happy to say uh, Brendan Popperwell's joined us. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes to have a bit of a chinwag pops this morning. Um, I, I just wonder for you, favourite racetrack uh, that you've ever visited? Oh, um, I actually like Mooney Valley. I, I actually am a massive fan of Mooney Valley, uh, the amphitheatre that it is. And on Cox Plate Day, there's nothing better because you are basically on top of the, of the, of the field. If you sit up in the grandstand or if you're up on the fence line, um, yeah, there's nothing better. You, you're as close to the action as you can get uh, at, at Mooney Valley. Well, it's, uh, it's a day out, isn't it? Well, a Cox Plate Day's a day out with the, the singing of the horses, of course, which I think is being done by a jockey this year. Is that correct? Yeah, I think Robbie Dollars picked it up. Uh, of course, uh, massive success uh, through an Australian reality program in The Voice. Uh, so he's uh, he's got himself a, a, another gig uh, on Cox Plate Day. You've been um, to uh, any racetracks in England, Pops, or, or of that nature, or, yeah. or are you still waiting to go? 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've been to Newmarket, thanks, uh, lucky enough to head there uh, when uh, sort of visiting around the UK. Uh, that was the, the only place I was able to get to. I wasn't able to get to Royal Ascot or anything like that. But, I mean, those, those racetracks are wide and expansive, um, really something to behold. If you go to Rickerton, you think that's a, a massive place. You, you, you go to some of those racetracks in England and they, they just go forever. Uh, and, and certainly when you can run races in a straight line for, for nearly 2,000 metres, um, yeah, they're, they're incredible places to, to just be at, not even at a, at a race meeting, to actually go and visit. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Actually, and the undulations and the little idiosyncrasies, some, some of them have got, have got the, the hilly nature of some that you, you don't pick up on. Um, on the television yeah. as such, in terms, in terms of the punting today, uh, basically around American sport, Pops? Yep, yep, yep. We've got these two Monday night football games to look forward to. Uh, first of them, in fact, is in about 17 minutes, the Buffalo Bills against the Tennessee Titans. Can tell you it's all one-way traffic here with the Buffalo Bills, but 93% of our betting in the head-to-head market all around, all around Buffalo. They're $1.22, Tennessee a four twenty-five. We've had money on Buffalo Bills to win. Biggest bet so far this morning has been 1000 on them at $1.22 and a number of $500 bets. And also in the points uh, spread, we'll see uh, the minus 10. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the 10, 10 points is the spread at the moment. We've had a lot of money around that for Buffalo. And also in the winning team in margin, uh, we've seen money uh, both ways here, but mainly around Buffalo 14 and over. A little bit of sprinkling of money around the 13, uh, 1 to 13 margin spread for Buffalo. And then the other game that's later on this afternoon, it's very much 50-50 split between uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the market currently sits in that one at 169 for Philly and $2.18 for the Minnesota Vikings. And Jalen Hurts, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, will spend good money for him uh, to be over 52 rushing yards, which currently sits uh, at $1.87. Brendan Popperwell from uh, the TAB. Uh, jealous of you going to Newmarket just by the by too. Pops, have a great day. Uh, we're coming up to 11 o'clock. Uh, we shall be talking uh, to uh, Black Caps coach uh, Gary Stead shortly after his press conference to announce the, that uh, T20 squad. We'll rename that for you after 11 as well. And, and then, of course, uh, we'll get into the rest of the hour, including a stump smithy. Uh, and we'll have a chat to staff as well, hopefully, before he takes over the show later this afternoon. It is uh, news time with Araha Hathaway here on SCNZ in the mornings. Central contract to New Zealand cricket. Uh, just hearing that in the news from uh, Araha, that is the highest paid overseas player in the newly established South African T20 League. Maybe Jimmy knew something that we didn't know, but uh, certainly he has fetched uh, the best price, uh, $350,000 I think I picked up on which is a great get for Jimmy Neesham. So uh, that is, uh, of course, very, very good news for him. Uh, just re- reiterating uh, the Black Caps T20 World Cup side, and this is Kane Williamson as uh, captain, uh, Finn Allen, Trent Bolt, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Devin Conway, Lockie Ferguson, Martin Guptill, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Jimmy Neesham, Glenn Phillips, Mitchell Santner, Ishodi, and Tim Southey. Of note there, Mark Chapman gets uh, a spot in there. Also, Adam Milne, back from injury. So uh, some genuine pace bowling candidates there in terms of Milne and Ferguson in the same side. Would you play them together? Maybe not. Depends on the nature of a pitch that you might discover as well. Tim Southey, of course, um, the perennial Tim Southey, he just uh, is in there the whole time. Uh, and Trent Bolt, who has uh, 
found a, a window that he is able to play for New Zealand, which is great. Uh, Finn Allen, Kane Williamson, um, Martin Guptill and Devin Conway will be the candidates for the top four, whether they all play or whether three out of the four play and they don't use Finn Allen early on and choose to go with experience. That will be interesting. Uh, and, of course, they've got a, a series coming up or a tri-series coming up involving uh, Bangladesh, and that is on October the 7th. Friday, uh, October the 7th, Bangladesh, Pakistan um, are coming to New Zealand, and these games will all be played in Christchurch. Uh, they uh, Bangladesh versus Pakistan on the Friday, then on the Saturday, the Black Caps against Pakistan on the Sunday, uh, a triple header in effect there, so the Black Caps against uh, Bangladesh. Uh, they're two night games under lights. Uh, and then the Black Caps against Pakistan on the Tuesday, Black Caps against uh, Bangladesh on the Wednesday, the Bangladesh against Pakistan on the Thursday, and then the T20 Tri-Series Final will be on Friday, October the 14th at 3pm, the day after which the Black Caps then depart for Australia uh, from Christchurch. So a feast of cricket uh, at Hagley Oval down there uh, early on in the season. Uh, in terms of the T20 World Cup schedule, when they get there, uh, they will be playing South Africa at Allen Border Field, um, which is, uh, of course, named after the legend himself. Um, that is uh, on Monday the 17th of October, and on Wednesday the 19th of October, uh, they will be playing India at the Gabba. India at the Gabba on uh, Wednesday the 19th, and that's a 6pm game. Uh, in terms of pool play, they'll then fly uh, straight after that game straight down to Sydney, where they play Australia at the Sydney Cricket Ground um, on uh, the 22nd of October. That's a Saturday at 6pm. Then they play Afghanistan. Dangerous game. Afghanistan, a lot of respect needed there. Uh, they will play them on Wednesday, the 26th of October at the MCG. Then they shift back to the SCG to play a qualifier. Uh, then they go to uh, back to the, uh, the Gabba to play England. And then uh, they travel to the Adelaide Oval, the beautiful Adelaide Oval, where they will play a second qualifier in the group. So that is the schedule for the Black Caps. <coughs> At the moment, the boys are just trying to get hold of uh, Gary Stead. Um, and uh, if we can get hold of him, we certainly will have, um, <coughs> we'll have a chat to him and ask him uh, a few questions about the squad. But of course, when they name a squad, everyone wants a piece of uh, the selectors and the coaches, etc. The good news for me is uh, that Adam Milne, who is uh, back in the squad, and uh, adds, of course, uh, adds a lot of substance to that uh, pace bowling attack. Uh, Stead said uh, at the press conference, um, we hope to get him. We're hoping plenty of Kiwis make the trip across the ditch to support us, along with our fans already living in Australia, playing at the great grounds such as the SCG, the MCG, the Gabba, and the Adelaide Oval will be occasions to savour, and something I know our boys are really looking forward to. Uh, actually, Martin Guptill's uh, selection for his seventh T20 World Cup, get that, seventh T20 World Cup, sees him join an exclusive list of players, Dwayne Bravo, Chris Gale, Muhammad Mamadullah, and Mushfika Rahim, Wal Shakib Al Hassan, and Rohit Sharma are set to play their eighth events. That is quite incredible. Brendan McCullen and uh, Ross Taylor, uh, they played uh, six matches uh, apiece. So uh, they're racking them up, and uh, Guppy, and that was announced at Avondale College, actually, which is uh, where he went to school. So. Well, it might have been something he must have been quite confident when they knew they were announcing it there that he was going to make the team. Would have been hard for the, them to stand up and say, actually, your old boy didn't make the team today, but here is the team. It's 11.08 here on SENZ.
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Rightio, uh, it is uh, just coming up to uh, 11.14 here on SENZ and a short time ago, um, selectors uh, Gary Stead and uh, Gavin Larson let us know their T20 World Cup squad for the World Cup. Uh, we've announced it to you and uh, fortunately uh, Gary Stead has made himself available to us so we can ask him a few questions about it. Uh, Steady, good morning to you. Uh, easy team to pick? Uh, not too bad. Uh, I mean, I think... Um, it's a very similar team that, that was in the final last year at the, the T20 World Cup in, in Dubai. A um, couple of changes. We obviously have um, uh, Lockie Ferguson coming back into the squad who got ruled out last year. Uh, and then Finn Allen and Michael Brace will come in for their first time. And they've, been, they've done very, very well, I guess, in their early stages of their international careers. Okay, let's. Uh, you've just been in Australia, of course. I don't think the conditions will be anywhere near the same when you get back to the major venues, where I think we can trust the pitches a wee bit more. But you have opted for uh, pace, uh, a pace duo uh, for Australian conditions with Ferguson and Milne. Yeah, we've taken both those guys um, along with Bolton and, and Salvi, uh, and then obviously Nisham as, as I guess, pace bowling um, in an all-rounder type role as well. So. I mean, what we think the the squad we've selected has got a good balance there when you look at those guys and then put the spin, I guess, options of, of Sodi Satner and Bracewell in there as well. And perhaps on some of these surfaces, and, and depending on what they are like, um, you may opt to, to play all three spinners on some of the bigger Australian grounds. Uh, let's look at uh, the top of the order. You've got, uh, for me, the way I look at it, you've got four batters to... Uh, to occupy your top four on a regular basis, whether you play them all at the same time is interesting. You've got, uh, of course, Martin Guptill, who's uh, that's got this record achievement from New Zealand's point of view. Then you go to Finn Allen. You've also got Devin Conway and Kane Williamson. Have you formu- formulated your plan around those players yet? Uh, I think all the all those players will um, bat in the, in the top sort of four positions throughout the tri series, and we just have a, I guess, final chance against Bangladesh and Pakistan to to look a little bit around that in the form of those guys as well. But um, I, I think it's exciting that we have got options that we can change in and out. You've obviously got the power of Martin and, and Finn and, and then I guess the batsmanship and craft, uh, if you like, a little bit more of, of uh, Kane and, and Devon as well. And, and that may just depend on the, the different opposition teams that we play and how we want to, I guess, skin the cat against those, whether we the, the different ways that we might go with uh, let's uh, look at uh, the spin bowling side of things as you say you, you've got um, Mitchell Santner you've got there uh, also Michael Bracewell uh, and uh, you renew um, the chances again of Ish Sodi uh, comes and goes a wee bit uh, Ish what has uh, made you pick him for this particular tournament yeah, well, Ish, Ish has always been part of our T20 squad um, we didn't play him in the last ODI squad he's been going through some uh, changes in technique that we're really excited about for him in the long term and so we decided not to play Ish in the one day series last time but he's certainly a very very important part of our squad going forward um, obviously he has wicket taking abilities and, and I think from a New Zealand perspective um, his, his T20 record in particular is, is pretty outstanding for us 
If you look uh, also, um, you've got the Jimmy Nation bracket uh, along with uh, Daryl Mitchell. Oh, I forgot actually, because um, you've got Glenn Phillips as well, who clearly could bat uh, maybe at four as well. Yeah, yeah, Glenn Phillips has been, uh, I guess, a little dynamite that he, he adds in the field and stuff for us, but certainly his power with the bat um, through the middle, you've you got options in, in Phillips, Mitchell and Nisham, as you say. Um, I, I think there's a good chance all those guys will probably fit into the lineup. Um, so they, they provide us with some, I guess, power through that back end of the innings. And um, I, I think someone like Jimmy Nisham, when you look at what he's done recently, is um, I think his strike rate's up there with the best players in the world to finish an innings. Got, uh, we asked people to send in a, a couple of questions, um, and uh, I, I think um, I, I read out a, a couple from Blair who says, uh, can I ask Gary Stead, uh, why has our short-form gone, uh, game gone uh, so conservative? Would, would you think that's the case? Uh, well, I'm not exactly sure exactly what they mean by that. Um, we've been to the West Indies recently and, and won our first series in ODI and C20 cricket over there and pretty difficult circumstances as well so um, I'm not sure exactly sure what's being targeted at there Smithy. Okay the other one is um, um, he seems to think that our standards and our fielding have dropped in recent series is that a, an observation that you um, share with or or not? Uh, we certainly work hard on, on our fielding and I guess uh, our sessions and our, and our talk is around always trying to improve and, and um, I think sometimes the you go to different grounds and don't always get the opportunity to, to train under the lights and things like that, which can at times make it difficult. But um, I, I'm very excited about our fielding unit when you look at the likes of Phillips and, and Bracewell and some of these guys, Allen who have and Martin Guptill with incredible pace and great arms on them. So if we can lift our standards and be at very, I guess, as high as, and as good as we can be, then I think we're up there with some of the best fielding teams. You're returning to uh, some of the iconic grounds. In fact, you don't get much bigger than the SCG, the MCG, the Gabba and the Adelaide Oval. Um, must be looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I think any time you have a world event like this, it's, it's exciting and it's being so close to home in Australia, then it's the opportunity perhaps for, for New Zealand fans and family, etc., to to come over and, and perhaps share, share in the experience that we have as well. But yeah, certainly looking forward to Australia first up at the SCG, um, and I know later on we play England at the Gabba, and so they are, as you say, big, iconic Australian grounds, and, and that will certainly play a part, I think, because each of these grounds are a little bit unique in how they play, so we'll, we'll be well prepared, I guess, in what we're trying to do from a tactical sense at, at the different grounds. Gary said you've actually got quite a nice little warm-up here. It's, it's not as if you're going to be going in um, fresh, off, obviously off the back of a, a 50-over series, but uh, the way I see it, um, you've got a nice series uh, built up in Christchurch, weather permitting, of course, uh, and then two warm-up games against South Africa and India, who you don't play in pool play. So that's uh, quite a nice way to, to get into it. Yeah, it is. I mean, we, we, we essentially could have uh, a five four games and hopefully a final in Christchurch so five matches in seven days and then we fly over and have another two matches in the next four days for South Africa and India who are also two very very strong T25 so we we won't won't be I guess have any excuses about not playing enough cricket Uh, I think we just have to manage the 
um, how we're going in terms of intensity levels through that period of time in the lead up, but there's certainly be no excuses around not being ready. Gary, standing out like a beacon is October 22. Uh, that is Australia at the SCG on the back of uh, what we saw. I know it's a different form of the game, but how are you going to how are you going to approach that mentally? Uh, is there an issue there? I mean. Uh, I mean, it would have been nice to get over the line a couple of times um, in, in Cairns. It didn't happen. What are you working on in that regard against Australia? Because it's not a, a tournament where you can afford to drop too many games. No, you're right, Smithy. And, and um, again, we go back to the last World Cup and, and, and we played a very uh, well cliffhanger of a match versus Pakistan first up and got on the wrong side of it and won the rest of the games to make the semi-final. So whilst it's it's not do or die, obviously. It's a very important match, and you would imagine if you do win that, you certainly increase your chances of um, going through to, to the semifinals and what is such a, I guess, a short tournament as well. Um, for us, the, the shorter the tournament, I, I guess, the more it is that one, one individual person can go in there and, and win a game for the team. And we, we try and pick, I guess, a team that has match winners and, and that we think has the ability to do that, and you just hope that it's, it's someone's day as well. But... I don't think there is a, a, a mental edge, certainly in T20 cricket anyway. Um, I think it's who goes out there and executes their skills best on the day. And, and, and as I said earlier, we'll certainly be ready with the amount of matches that we're having. How's Kane travelling uh, injury-wise? He had the, the hip problem, the elbow problem. And uh, I mean, I think New Zealanders who are so used to seeing Kane Williamson deliver on a regular basis, uh, I, I, say, I think some are getting a little bit nervous. Uh, can you put that to bed? Yeah, well, I mean, I think any time that, that you've been out of the game for a while, there's obviously that nervousness when they come back into the game as well. And I know Kane would have liked some, to score some more runs. But look, I mean, they, they say that, that, I guess, the form is, is temporary and, and class is permanent. And, and he's a classic person. He's a classic player. And I expect that, that there are runs just around the corner for him. Uh, let's hope so, uh, Gary, because he's such an integral uh, part of it. So, anyway, uh, thanks very much uh, for filling in uh, the details, uh, dotting the I's, crossing the T's for us there on that selection. Um, uh, and very interesting indeed. Uh, look forward to that build-up, um, which is coming up, uh, what, uh, in about uh, 10 days or no, a little bit longer than that, against Bangladesh and Pakistan. Travel well and uh, prepare well. Um, we'll catch you shortly. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Billy. Cheers. Yes, uh, Gary Steer there, head coach, of course, for the Black Caps across all three formats, and uh, that is an exciting team. Uh, most of the other sides uh, around the world have been finalised now, and there are some very, very powerful units. I uh, had a text uh, come through as well to say, um, I, I think, and this is from Chris, I think Sri Lanka will be a team to watch out for as well. Didn't even mention Sri Lanka, they're in the opposition group. Uh, they beat India and Pakistan twice recently. Uh, and as Gary Stead points out, it's, it's an individual type game, T20, in that if one individual has a absolutely standout performance, a standout performance, uh, he can be a match winner. Uh, it's very hard to recover from someone who belts 100 in a T20 game. You've got to try and emulate that. Or someone who knocks over a top order, a Trent Bolt gets 3 for 10 in his opening spell, and you've got to try and recover from that and get run momentum as well very quickly. So it is a game that can be dictated. It's such a fickle nature. It's very, very hard to predict. Uh, but I, I like that side in terms of uh, the balance. I think we've got pretty much every base covered um, and covered more than, uh, more than one fold as well. So I like it. Uh, the big question marks for me will be Sodi. Can he be a factor on Australian pitches?
He has been in the past in the BBL uh, when he was able to uh, score runs. Um, uh, sorry, get, get wickets for the Adelaide Strikers. He was very important to that uh, particular franchise the year that he played there. So uh, he has done it before in Australian conditions. He will be a target. Uh, world batsman will target East Sodi. There's no doubt about it. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, by and large, Logan, I think it's a pretty damn good squad and pretty predictable. Hold it. Hell, that's breaking news. Don't tell me someone's pulled out already. What's happening? <laughs> Jesus. Sharp, Smithy. Very sharp for someone who stayed up to watch the uh, the Queen State funeral last night. No, this is just an update on Darcy Swain. I know the questions are running around with our listeners. Mm. They want to know what's going on here. The latest that we do have, sorry, that was my phone, uh, Christy Doran from Fox Sports, who we had on the show earlier this week. Wallaby Darcy Swain to find out his sanction on Wednesday at a judicial hearing for his breakdown incident in that left quintupire with an MCL injury after the foul play committee met on Monday. And this has been confirmed by a Sanzar statement. So we will find out tomorrow what exactly f- the fate holds for Darcy Swain. Well, if he gets off scot-free, I'll go, hey, and good luck to Darcy Swain and the atmosphere and the re- uh, I think the response he'll get... Uh, when he walks out or runs out onto <coughs> Eden Park because uh, he should cop plenty for that as far as I am concerned. Right, uh, let's uh, make a plan, shall we? What, what have we got coming up in the next 33 minutes, so to speak? Well, it's it's been an interesting day here, Smithy. I will tell you that. Um, I know you get to look at the cameras and you'll, you'll probably laugh at my body language. Uh, so... Personally, I don't know if we're going to have... I, I love this topic with Mount Rushmore. We have, we've had some awesome, awesome uh, responses from the listeners. I love Mark Watson talking about Maple Leaf Gardens and the history there as one of the original yeah, six. I would. You know what the sad thing is about Maple Leaf Gardens now, Smithy? Do you know what it is now? It's a supermarket. It's, uh, I was going to say a mall. Yeah. It's, it's a, a supermarket, supermarket yeah, oh, God. Uh, there's a little there's a little spot in the supermarket where the center ice dot was, and then of course also it is shared with Ryerson University, so there is still a, a rink in there. But it is a very nice supermarket. I'll give you that. No, I love this topic. I loved the uh, the input that we got from Joe from Gizzy. Man, is he well traveled? I just I could mm. listen to him. For ages about all the places he's been to, clearly there's more. Uh, I think, though, officially here, SNZ Mornings, we're going to have to park Mount Rushmore off Sporting Arenas for a day because you know what we will do, Smithy? We are going to play Stumped. That's what we're going to play Stumped, Smithy, shortly. Okay, that's coming up after the 11.30 news. Uh, you're right about uh, Joe from Gizzy. Man, a world-traveled man. Mm. How about Dave? Dave, for, uh, who said uh, Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, doesn't matter where you sit, you're a part of the game. Lords did the tour and went to the New Zealand versus the Palms, the home of cricket. Have to see the slope to believe it. San Mam Stadium in Bilbao in Spain. Went to the Heineken Cup there uh, when it was not long open. Great view and brilliant facilities. The Spanish police with machine guns because of a threat of uh, ETA just happened. Uh, just added to the ambience. McLean Park in Napier lived at the back of the old Morris Stand. Spent a lot of time playing there as a kid, and my brother and I had a loose piece of corrugated iron, so rugby was free. They could just get through the fence, you see. Just get through the fence on the old loose piece of corrugated iron. Love that. Um, Harrison Marcus just popped in, and uh, g'day Harrison. The real question is why 
any player to get a red card and didn't get paid out even as a bonus bet after Swain got cited and they told us he should have been. Okay, so Harrison had a bet. I didn't realise that was an option. Any player to get red carded didn't get paid out even as a bonus bet after Swain got cited and they told us he should have been. Mm, interesting. Um, Cardiff Arms Park is another one that's coming. Lords, MCG, Adelaide Oval. Love the Adelaide Oval. Um, not, I don't love it as much as I used to, actually. Uh, it has got some spectacular stands there now, um, but it's still retained the grass bank, so they've tried to keep a bit of its heritage there and the big old scoreboard, the famous old scoreboard. Uh, but, yeah, certainly... Uh, Adelaide Oval went close to my list. It went very, very close. The lines are already lighting up, which means Stump Smithy is just around the corner. Uh, before that, though, here is the news with Araha. 1476 AM in Auckland. This is SENZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Top class rolls with the punches. That is Ian Smith. Here on SCNZ Mornings and of course Stumped where we play for a $50 TAB bonus bet. Uh, I mean there's a lot on the line here Smithy if we want to try and get this up to uh, a much higher total for the end of the weekend. How are you feeling? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I lost uh, yesterday but uh, I had the I had their final answer all sorted. You did? Uh, so I was a bit disappointed there. So um, well, I look forward to uh, today's competitors and... Um, taking them to the cleanest, to be perfectly honest. Uh, who, who have we got first up? <laughs> Take it. I love that. All right. First of all, uh, for anyone who's kind of tuning in, maybe never really heard Stump before, I just want to give a quick breakdown uh, of how the game is played. We haven't done that in a while. We, normally, we play for uh, three categories. Today, going two. It has just been one of those days. Uh, if you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within the first two questions, then it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed in the final question, and we will jackpot. We've got three people waiting in line, Smithy, to take you on. The first being Joey from Auckland. Come in, mate. Yeah, g'day, boys. G'day, Smithy. Third time lucky, mate, hopefully. Yeah, good luck, Joey. Um, I, I only wish you all the best. You're a regular contributor to the station, and you deserve 50 bucks, but I'm not going to put it on a plate and hand it to you, okay? You're going to have to earn it. Yeah, I know. You wouldn't hand anything to, to us Aucklanders. I know that, Smithy, but that's how it is, mate. Good luck to yourself as oh. well. Let's, uh, let's do it. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, but you don't notice too many people from Hawke's Bay win, do you, just by the by? <laughs> well, no, you had the shield for long enough, but, I mean, um, that's now gone. You know, you, you must have known Auckland were coming down to try to get it. <laughs> yeah, we were trembling in our boots the way you guys are going. Oh, oh goodness me. Year after year, yeah. I mean, uh, Auckland rugby and the Warriors—is there a similarity? Uh, is it, <laughs> oh, well, I'm moving right along anyway. Um, Joey, what are the categories today, please, uh, Logan? Oh, I did not take long for a, a little dig there at, at Hawks Bay, and man, what a great run for the Shield that was. Uh, the topics today—oh, these are two that you love, Smithy. Dear to your heart, cricket and the Rand Furley Shield. Take your pick out of those two, Joey. Go the Rand Furley Shield. All right. Question one for you, Joey. Uh, Joey, question one for you. What does it look like? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, we don't know. We haven't had it for that long. Um, we, we, we don't know what it looks like, to be honest. And actually, I, I'm glad Wellington took it off you because, uh, to be honest, um, I would have been um, 
my boots were shaking a little bit uh, if we had to go down and play you guys. We've <laughs> got more chance to get it up there. <laughs> I think you're right there too. Rightio, let's go. Oh, wow. Smithy, you've taken off the wicket-keeping gloves and put on some boxing gloves. Sledge. sledge. Yeah, that is a great sledge. I love that. All right, first question for you, Joey. Auckland became the first holders of the Ranfilly Shield in 1902. Who took it off them in 1904? Oh, God. I would go with... That is one of the worst things I've ever heard on a cricket field. Smithy. So we haven't, we haven't got the jingle today? No. Okay. Uh, I'll be saying that uh, that was taken off them because travel wouldn't have been too easy back in 1902. So I'll be a side that's pretty close to them. And I'll say uh, Waikato. That is one of the worst things I've ever heard on a cricket field. No, actually, Joey, if you went with your gut, that would have been the correct answer. It was Wellington. Wow. Okay. You survive. You survive, Joey. Well done. No worries. Second question for you, Joey. Southland hold the record for the longest tenure. How many years, years did it last? The longest tenure. Auckland had it for. Auckland had it for. I would say three. Three seasons. That is one of the worst things I have ever heard on a cricket field, Smithy. Five. I don't know. Five. Oh, no, eight. Get this: eight years, ten months. And 23 days. I don't know if that would ever get broken. That was way back. No, hold it. Yeah, go. That was way back in 1938 to 47. Well, that's the war years. They didn't play for it. That's why they held it. (laughs) According to the Rainfairly Shield record books, that's that's how it is. It's true. They never lost it in that time, but I doubt whether they ever (laughs) played for it. I wasn't alive back in the war. I heard about it. It was in all the papers. But here's the thing. You know, they wouldn't have played for it very much back then. So I think that's a bit of a dicky question, but we'll run with it. Moving along. That's fine. This is how the history books roll. Uh, Last question, Joey, from Auckland. Oh, yeah, we talk about uh, teams having bad luck with the Shield. Bay Plenty have held the Ranfilly Shield just once in their history. In 2004, how long did that tenure last? Yeah, days or, or, or weeks? Games. So I think it was seven days. Oh, games. One, games, one game. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smitty. Actually, I think it was more than that. I think Wayne Ormond might have been their captain, or certainly Wayne Ormond played uh, in that uh, particular series or those games. It lasted longer than that. I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to say it lasted about four games. Four games. One of the worst things oh, I have God. ever seen done on a cricket field. Right, for the Shield uh, history is a bit tough, but yeah, two games is how long uh, Bay Plenty have held it for, and uh, no doubt any Steamers fans out there will be hoping that Waikato will take it off Wellington's hands so that then they get a shot this season. Brilliant. Yeah, Absolutely I think, brilliant. Smithy, before I go, I, I just think um, uh, um, Waikato will take it off Wellington. 
I think Waikato proved they're a little bit vulnerable at the weekend. What I'm interested in is Wellington's resolve with the Shield. I'm interested to see what Wellington's public are in terms of their reaction to holding the Shield. I want to see a lot less yellow seats when I dial in and watch it at the weekend. And I hope that Wellington engage it because it is something very, very special. And you only have to look at the reaction of the players when they won it. Uh, to uh, realise exactly what it meant to, me, to them and some of those very experienced players at that who have uh, had their first taste of holding it. So, uh, in, uh, in between times though, Joey, you have won this morning. Stay on the line. Um, out of negligence, you have won and Brian will get uh, all your details for you very, very shortly. So, uh, it is uh, coming up to 11.40 here on SENZ. We'll be back uh, and uh, have a chat to staff very soon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.